Welcome to Entry Points, the Miller ICA podcast about art and ideas from Carnegie Mellon University. I am your host, Elizabeth Chodos. about when we were in the gallery the other day and you were talking to a group of students giving them a tour of the space and someone was asking you about your curatorial process and you identified like a distinction between curating works in order to conform to a theme versus curating an exhibition more in conversation with artists and as a way to sort of extrapolate and investigate an idea and not necessarily be overly beholden to a theme. And I'm wondering if you can sort of talk a little bit more about your process and and specifically your process with this show. Yeah, I enjoy conversations with artists. I think that's one of the most rewarding things that I get to uh, do. So for me, having a group exhibition isn't an opportunity to illustrate an idea, a fully formed idea that I have to begin with. Rather, it's a way for me to bring different voices and learn from uh, other people and their thought process and their creative process to get me to another place that I hadn't thought I would go when I first start out a project, because that's much more open-ended and more rewarding for me. Like, I am not about to go and pick out a single artwork from an artist's practice that somehow fits my project but doesn't really represent the artist's practice overall. Um, I'm not interested in sort of one-off, check-off-the-box kind of approach. And I feel like conversations are richer the more we consider various sides of things. So this exhibition where, where I look at the skin as a topic, I'm thinking about the skin in all sorts of ways. It's not just the skin of a human uh, being. It's, uh, you can see in, for instance, Cotteratia's photograph, the skin can apply to a tree trunk, or uh, we can think of Victoria Fu and Matt Rich's aprons as a type of skin, or you can think about the glass surfaces of Sarah Greenberger Rafferty's work as a type of skin. And there's all sorts of materials that are being used by the artists in the exhibition in very sensual and creative ways that, again, open up an understanding of this topic in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of radially taking the idea out to all these places. And um, the artists who I've been able to talk with have been phenomenal and being really generous with their time with their ideas. Yeah, I like the way that that process allows the work to function in a very different way. So as opposed to being an illustration or um, or opposed to you sort of instrumentalizing these different works of art in the service of like your preconceived notion, what happens when you start to engage in this conversation and the way I, you know, I saw this show to come together as you were curating it, it was much more a generative process. So a lot of the work that's in the exhibition was not conceived before you 
curated the show, uh, some of it was and some of it wasn't. And some of it came out of and generated out of these conversations, which I think is one of those things about the show that isn't necessarily obvious just to look at it, but it's one of those things that's deeply felt. Like you can feel that there's a underlying conversation and underlying investigation shared by the artists that is sort of driving things. And I, yeah, I'm interested to hear you talk about, especially some of the works that um, maybe weren't made when you thought of the show or invited the artists and right. how those things kind of came. That's a good point because yes, there are new works that are made specifically for the exhibition. Again, when I invited an artist, it's because I was aware of their practice and their concerns and there was affinity and there was shared interest um, in talking about this topic in an interesting way. The artists who presented new work in the exhibition are Wilmer Wilson, Sarah Greenberger Rafferty, and Byron Kim. And even though they're new, they're not a radical departure from previous works. Yes, they've, they have experimented with new materials or new uh, way of making things or just, you know, different process. And Ben and Maddie, um, who will be making a new performance work as the culmination of a two-week residency at Braddock Carnegie Library. It's interesting to think about how artists themselves are responsive to the context of the exhibition. I'm not going about this by myself. The artists are responding to uh, my suggestions and the works of other artists in the exhibition. Mm -hmm. And you can see cer certain kinds of um, aesthetic and material echoes, even if it's not a conscious one. Uh, there are these dialogues that are happening within the exhibition space formally, uh, aesthetically, materially. Um, and that's a great way for us to also think about artworks that have previously been made. In the case of Kiki Kogelnik, some of the works are made as early as 1965. So um, having that work be reintroduced into this conversation among artists who are making work right now is also exciting. Yeah. And so that reminds me of some of the conversation that happened last night, um, a real live conversation between you, Carl Phillips, and Byron Kim. Byron's paintings being inspired by Carl's poem, All But Innocence. And over and over again within the conversation, uh, this idea of old work being done with old work and it being set aside or old work being continued on for years and years and years or these investigations being continued on for years and years and years. And also the way something that can be really old or is the, you know, an artist can be really done with it will spark a whole nother investigation for someone else. So in the case of all but innocence, Carl was like, Oh yeah, that was an old poem, but Byron found it 15 years or however many years after it was written and it sparked an entire body of work so that these conversations or the idea of conversation is not just something that is necessarily happening in real time or present time, but can happen over time, over long spans of time. And I think that's in some ways true with Cotter's work and how that was an anchor for the show. But it was something that the, the way you engaged with that conversation was through seeing that work and reading about him and reading about his thinking. 
Yeah, conversations I think of as being both durational but also spatial. So we can have a conversation over a long stretch of time. We can also have a conversation over a vast stretch of uh, space. So when I think about this particular exhibition as being a conversation, her work and her legacy as an artist is part of the conversation, uh, even if uh, there wasn't an in-person interaction. I think of uh, the ability to span the distance in both time and space is so crucial to an artist's work that when an artist puts a work of art out there in the world, that is a conversation partner waiting for another mm. to come and engage. Mm-hmm. And whoever comes to engage, that person has a responsibility too, to right. be respectful of uh, your conversational partner and <laughs> to care for that yeah. and to shape the kind of conversation you want to have, but also listen. Right. And it's making me think of a lot about how time functions in the various works. And also, well, I'm thinking really particularly right now about Sarah's work and time within that work um, in the sense of these black uh, glass surfaces being uh, was an analog screen. And the idea of glass is this ancient material, but it's ubiquity in technology and in our daily lives. And also the themes that she's drawing on being very of the moment, but then also hearkening back to things like the story of Lucretia. And so I'm thinking about the, how those conversations have evolved over spans of time and are both really of the present moment, but have this depth of history. Is that something you're seeing in her work and in other work in the show? Yeah, I think Sarah does a particularly good job of bringing in references from various time periods. And as you were describing the the glass, I had this thought of how glass as a medium has been used in very different ways and radically changed in the last uh, decade or so. Because when we think of glass, we often use that word in a metaphorical way to either talk about a barrier or access, like Mm. for instance, glass ceiling. Mm. We use that as a way to talk about that thing that you can't breach. Mm. You can see through it, but you can't breach. Mm -hmm. And to think about how glass is being used in 21st century, early 21st century technology with the touch screen and on your phone, mobile devices, it's kind of sinister in some ways Mm -hmm. because it proposes that you have access to something to a world Mm -hmm. but you actually don't i mean yes you have this ability to connect to other users but on the other side of that glass what do you see physically what is there materially what we see on the surface beneath the glass uh actually is incongruous to the promises that technology uh, uh, gives us. Mm. So um, I think about how Sarah is very cleverly using 
glass as a medium, but she's turned it into a black, shiny surface mm-hmm. that reflects us mm-hmm. when we are looking at it. Mm-hmm. Show us that uh, certain surfaces, even though it seems uh, porous, are impenetrable. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about that, it brings me back to the theme of skin in the show and as a sort of organizing principle and your interest in skin as the site of the boundary, uh, which is both um, a hard boundary and it it identifies a self, but it's also a porous boundary in the sense that, well, it's literally porous, but it also the surface on on which we sense the world. And it's it's a communicative boundary. It's one that is active and alive and in, in conversation with the world around it. So yeah, I'm just thinking about about skin in that way and wondering if you can talk about some of the works um, in the show and how they either enact that kind of boundary and the way that Sarah's work does with the glass. Maybe even thinking of like Wilmer's work, particularly in that regard. Wilmer's work is particularly interesting to me in this context because I feel like his work is the keystone of the various parts of the exhibition. Um, he draws from a lot of similar materials, color, color uh, palette, and um, aesthetic kind of decisions. And he presents this work that is made of plywood panels and plastic banners, vinyl banners that he's found on the streets uh, that he spray paints with various colors. And for one thing, he is using these materials that circulates in the public realm. He makes a point of saying that these are images that uh, he finds. And at the same time, he's uh, creating a barrier on top of these images. So some of the banners uh, advertise real estate potential. Others advertise an event. And these banners are hung in front of a series of images that he's gathered of barbershop hairstylists showing fantastic hairstyle for primarily black patrons. And they are covered up by these banners uh, that have black, brown of various hues and creamish colors in a way that you question how you're giving language to these colors. Mm -hmm. So he's creating multiple barriers physically, and he's also creating these conceptual barriers that we create Mm -hmm. in our head by giving language to a certain identity, certain groups of people. So like the colors you're describing could be different skin tones, and they could be different skin tones that are all described as black at various times, just if they're... Or not, depending on who who has that skin, and yeah. so it's 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 an interesting demonstration of how language is slippery. Yes, language is totally slippery, and skin as a noun that describes what holds us <laughs> physically together. Mm-hmm. That's also pretty slippery because we can think about skin as all sorts of other things. Yeah. I'm thinking, too, about skin as a dynamic, active, feeling, sensing, changing thing. And, you know, thinking about that side of the exhibition, that wing of the show, Ben and Maddie's work, where 
they're uh, performing together and communicating constantly in that performance uh, through the surface of the skin and trying to enact empathy and other kinds of emotions and uh, thoughts and responses just by just through touch. I think touch is very important and performance brings in a whole different element to the exhibition. When I was thinking about the title, The Skin of Ours, I wanted to insert a possessive plural Mm -hmm. noun of us, ours, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to explore what happens when we touch, when our skins touch, when the boundary between me and you is butted up against each other. Mm -hmm. I think that there is a lot that you can say about that. And I think that one of the interesting things about the show is the way that it toggles between a physical, visceral, tangible, kind of sensational, you know, you're sensing and feeling and in your body in the moment in the show, um, which is a very different type of experience than a sort of cerebral process that you can also engage with with the works so i'm wondering if what your thoughts are about the the dance that happens between the you know what you sense and what you think the dance that you describe to me is the dance around uh the threshold between binary concepts that we often carry when we are trying to define one thing against another mm-hmm. and that could potentially be productive. It could potentially be completely paralyzing Mm. and destructive in the same way that our society is becoming increasingly polarized. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have these extreme swings from one to another. And how do we bring it back to a mutual starting point? Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, the touch that you sense on your skin is the most basic and fundamental experience that you have uh, in the world. Um, Just the act of touch itself, that's how we interface with the physical world. Mm. And how we make sense of that touch uh, is a process that gets so quickly funneled into one category or another and it's under-examined. Mm. We have to think about why did that become registered as uh, something intrusive? Why did that become registered as something pleasurable? Mm. And that's there's a lot to unpack culturally, socially, politically in that process. I think we become more robust in our ability to navigate the world the more we consciously think about these things. It makes me think a lot about both Cotter and Byron's work, the idea of like the surface of the skin registering and documenting impact. So with Cotter's work, the scar, or and it's on a tree, but it, there's this corollary to human skin. And in Byron's work with the idea of a bruise, both the site of injury and the site of repair, that state of repair or like it, it being suspended in a state of repair is a really powerful sort of metaphor or thought or idea when brought to bear in our current political climate that is so um, fraught with polarization like you're talking about and anger and you know it's just it's just so extreme 
that we, I don't know if we, like, if we could spend more time sort of hovering in a state of repair or thinking about how we could repair, that would be really great. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's always easier to deconstruct. It's always easier to call out, but it's much harder to rebuild. It's right. much harder to find concrete ways uh, with which we can move forward and really think about where we want to be. Yes, we need to be called out on certain things, but uh, we can't be blindly espousing a, a certain progressive belief without um, recognizing the efforts of others to try and really come to a common ground. And I do absolutely believe that it's a conversation means you have to hear others, even if they are saying things that you don't want to hear. Yeah. And, and maybe especially yeah. when they're saying we're in these echo chambers now, right? Of, yeah. um, social media um, and even just our social groups, even in, you know, in person. It's not just what is happening in our, you know, online lives, but um, we're surrounded by people who share our beliefs and um, this othering often happens where it's an us versus them mentality and that gets reinforced through the platforms that we have to engage with each other. And that's what I think about what my hope is for the Miller ICA and exhibitions like the, this skin of ours <laughs> um, <laughs> is to sort of create space and hold space for in-person dialogue that maybe challenges our desire to fall back into a you know a really concrete position and maybe hear and listen to others through conversation yeah so in terms of other works in the show I'm one of the the sort of centerpiece in the exhibition when you walk in you're sort of confronted in a way with a very large sculpture that has a lot of different elements going on the Victoria Fu and Matt Rich uh, work and I'm wondering what was your thinking behind that placement of that sculpture and in connection with the sort of broader theme of skin in some ways their work is a visual barrier before all of the works in that big open space gets consumed immediately by somebody walking mm -hmm. out of the elevator. So that creates a practical um, uh, structure that slows down the looking process. In terms of their artwork specifically, they're presenting sort of a loosely termed uh, aprons <laughs> that want us to put them on and try them on and literally be in somebody else's uh, clothes, somebody else's shoes. You know, we have all these metaphors mm -hmm. of becoming another person or putting yourself in another person's position and seeing from that person's point of view. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes uh, we kind of understand these articles of clothing as second skin. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm thinking about how do we start out from a position where we can possibly understand something that we hadn't understood before? Uh, how do we look differently? Mm -hmm. How do we expand our way of thinking to include another person's viewpoints? Yeah. Which brings me to one other aspect of the exhibition, which, um, you know, there's 
the exhibition itself. We had the conversation last night with Byron and Carl. Um, there's a performance with Ben and Maddie. And then there's also this catalog that we're creating that has different perspectives. And so the person you invited to write an essay, Wendy Vogel, is sort of creating work um, in her response to the show. And she's sort of taking a feminist view of the exhibition. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. I call myself a feminist. I, Wendy definitely calls herself a <laughs> feminist. <laughs> I wanted to make room for that voice because it's uh, an urgency at the moment. At the same time, not all of the artists included in the exhibition identify as women. They, you know, are a lot of them are cisgendered men. I don't think that necessarily um, disqualifies them from having the uh, conversation that's necessary. In fact, I think all of them would welcome that conversation sure. and can participate in it in a productive way. And I think it's very important when we are talking about something that we understand as shared and universal. We tease out the nuances and differences in a way that's generous. Uh, we can't flatten everything to say, yeah, we all have skin. That's mm -hmm. fine. Or we can't swing to the other side and be like, uh, you know, because of this skin, you're like that or that. Mm -hmm. This really needs to be uh, non-binary, fluid, generous and generative uh, conversation. And I think really taking a political stance to say that, yes, we're making space for these voices and also to acknowledge that we are talking about larger structural problems mm -hmm. and not necessarily getting stuck on uh, details that detract us from questioning the systems of power that have uh, results that are specific, like why am I not getting paid the same amount right. that this man is getting paid for doing the same work? Right. right. I mean, yes, those things are important to address on the everyday living reality from the ground up. At the same time, we need to question the larger structural right. problems. Right. And you need to have those conversations from all angles and not just have a conversation, but action. But there's time and space and place for all those different ways of looking at those problems. So we're coming up on time, but I wanted to ask you, moving forward, what are some conversations that you're excited to be having after this? That's a good question. <laughs> I am interested in having difficult questions be explored collaboratively because they're not going to go away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in fact, instead of avoiding them, I think uh, we can actually engage with these questions. Sometimes I do want to avoid them, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to be really honest, like yeah. it's easier just not to talk about certain things. Yeah. And you're um, talking about like political or Yeah, charged. political charged imagery because we are in the business of presenting visual images mm -hmm. and more and more with uh, how images are circulated, that's becoming a really urgent mm -hmm. question in a snapshot that gets circulated at a you know, fraction of a second mm -hmm. to all these people, how are we to create a nuanced discourse? And that's a big question. Yeah, that's a 
how are we to create a nuanced discourse? I mean, yeah. I think right now where things are sound bites or tweet or tweets or get circulated completely without any nuance and in this moment of political kind of rupture, I think bringing the nuance back is essential. And bring it back. Let's bring, let's bring the nuance back. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for your wonderful exhibition. More episodes of Entry Points can be found on the various section of our website at miller-ica.cmu.edu. See you next time.